Welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer with Dr. Jeff. I'm Dr. Jeff, and this is the second episode on bone tumours. So before you go on, I would seriously recommend that you listen to the first episode on bone tumours, but also that you listen to one of my earlier podcasts on the introduction to the podcast that gives some general information. And plus, I'd recommend you listen to the introductory podcast on chemotherapy. But in episode one of this bone tumour series, we talked about the two primary bone tumours that we typically see in children and young adults, and they were Ewing sarcoma of bone or extraosseous Ewing sarcoma. And the second one was osteogenic sarcoma, also called osteosarcoma. So today I want to talk about the first weeks of care of a patient with one of these tumours, and in particular the tests that we have to go through to work out what's going on. So the patient will have turned up with some set of symptoms, maybe a lump, maybe a pain, maybe something being compressed by the tumour. But in any event, suspicion has been raised that there may be a, a tumour or something. And so, so the first step, of course, will be that the doctors examine the patient to see what's there. But the first test done would normally be some sort of a plain old x-ray, just a normal x-ray to look at what's happening in the bone because of course the doctor doesn't know that there's a tumour there at this point. It could be an infection in the bone, it could be a fracture in the bone, it could be all sorts of things. So an x-ray is done and if there's evidence there of it being a tumour then further tests are undertaken. And for bone tumours of the arms and the legs and the pelvis Usually an MRI scan is performed. That's usually the best way to get a very good look at a tumour of the bones. In certain locations, a CT scan is superior, particularly around the lungs. A CT scan is often better because a CT can handle air in the lungs better than an MRI. And likewise, certain tumours in the abdomen uh, might be best imaged with CT. CT scan can actually give extra information on the type of tumour that's present that an MRI can't, but really, mostly in the arms and the legs, an MRI scan is superior. But after the MRI or the CT scan, the tumour has been identified, and now the next task is to work out, well, what sort of tumour is present? And eventually, this comes down to some sort of a biopsy. And a biopsy is just getting a piece of the tissue and giving it to the pathologists and they can look at it with a microscope and tell you what's going on, what sort of tumour is present. And there's different types of biopsy that can be performed and it depends on the location of the tumour and all sorts of other considerations. One type of biopsy is a needle biopsy or a core biopsy. This involves inserting a needle into the mass and taking a core of tissue and sending that to the pathologists. Now in children and young adults, most of the time they'd have a general anaesthetic for that procedure. Maybe not, but most of the time I think they would. In other locations, it may be that an open biopsy is performed by the surgeon. So the surgeon makes an actual cut and goes in and takes a piece of tumour out under direct vision. And sometimes the tumour will be completely removed at the time of original diagnosis. So usually with bone tumours, if you know it's a bone tumour, you give chemotherapy first and then 
perform surgery some weeks later. But occasionally, the tumour will have been removed completely at diagnosis. Sometimes that happens because a primary bone tumour wasn't suspected. So they suspected something else was going on, some other sort of a lump, and the surgeons removed the lump. But then the pathologist says, no, it's a Ewing sarcoma or an osteosarcoma. And in certain other situations, it's a deliberate planned strategy to go in and take the tumour out completely right at the start. That would be less common, I guess, but there'd be times, you know, in certain locations where it's just very amenable to being removed and so the surgeon does so. There's a particular type of osteogenic sarcoma that doesn't necessarily benefit from chemotherapy. That's the parosteal osteosarcoma. And it may be that that one does get removed at the start and chemotherapy isn't used. But the pathologist gets a piece of the tumour and looks at it with the microscope and then is able to say whether the tumour is an osteogenic sarcoma or a Ewing sarcoma or something else. Now I mentioned something else here particularly to do with Ewing sarcoma is Ewing sarcoma has something that we call a chromosome translocation. And this is seen in, I think, over 95% of Ewing sarcomas. So remember in our body we have DNA in every cell and the DNA is in these strips of stuff called chromosomes. Remember we have 46 chromosomes and we're XY if we're a boy and XX if we're a girl. Well, in Ewing sarcoma, chromosome number 11 and chromosome number 22 commonly swap over a bit of their information. If you imagine the two chromosomes standing there all dressed up and one of them takes off his t-shirt and gives it to the other one and the other one takes off his shirt and gives it to the other one and so they've swapped part of chromosome 11 and chromosome 22. And this is something that's occurring in the tumour. The, the child is born with totally normal chromosomes in the rest of their body but at some point the cell made a mistake, mixed up some chromosomes, and that led to this thing that we call an 11-22 translocation. That's the commonest one. There's a couple of others that can occur in Ewing sarcoma. I think there's 21-22 translocation. I think there might be a 1-22. I'd have to check the textbooks. But 11-22 translocation is the common one. And what that does is it, it it means that a gene called EWSR1 that's on one of the chromosomes is now next to a gene called FLY1, F-L-I-1. So we end up with EWSR1 and FLY1 next to each other. And they weren't meant to be next to each other. They were meant to be on different chromosomes altogether. And somehow this fusion gene is involved in why the tumour develops in the first place. So Sometimes pathologists are struggling to work out eh, what sort of tumour is this? Is it a rhabdomyosarcoma? Is it a Ewing sarcoma? Is it a neuroblastoma? You know, they can't quite tell. Well, they can send the biopsy for this special molecular testing to see if this chromosome translocation is present or if this fusion gene is present. And then that can uh, make the diagnosis certain that it's a Ewing sarcoma. There's a whole lot of work on this fusion gene and different variant forms of it and whether some are more serious than others and so on. And hopefully one day it's going to give us an opportunity to have a special drug that just targets that fusion gene and can home in on the Ewing sarcoma and not affect other tissues in the body. 
Okay, so the biopsy's been done. The pathologists have said this is an osteogenic sarcoma or a Ewing sarcoma. Next thing that needs to happen is we have to work out whether the tumour has spread from its primary site. So imagine a tumour in the thigh bone, the femur. Well, now we have to see, has it spread to elsewhere in the body? So again, doctor examines the patient, looks for any lumps or bumps elsewhere in the body, and then proceeds with a set of tests. And usually these would include a CT scan of the chest, and that's to look for nodules of tumour in the lungs. We would normally do some sort of nuclear medicine scan. This is one of those scans where they inject a radioactive tracer into the blood and then look for hot spots of radiation elsewhere in the body. So a bone scan is a way to look at the rest of the skeleton to look for tumour that's spread to bones away from the primary tumour. But more recently, it's been a PET scan that's been developed. That's a newer technology that is uh, superior in some ways for looking for metastatic disease and for evaluating the response to treatment, but it's not as widely available as a bone scan. Bone scan's very available, and just about every hospital would have the ability to get a bone scan done. But a bone scan or a PET scan, sometimes both, And in Ewing sarcoma, we would normally do a bone marrow test. And bone marrow test involves putting a needle into the back of the pelvis bones, assuming the tumour isn't there, and taking a random sample of bone marrow from there with a hollow needle that takes out a core of bone marrow. We usually do that on both sides, and that's to see if there's tumour spread into the bone marrow, which is a very serious thing indeed. Don't tend to do it in osteosarcoma unless we suspected spread, but we would do it as a routine in Ewing sarcoma. So with the CT chest, the bone scan, PET scan, bone marrow test, that's the usual workup to see if the tumour has spread elsewhere in the body away from the primary tumour site. So now we're getting ready to make a plan for treatment. Most of the time we're going to give chemotherapy to patients with primary bone tumours. And so now we need to test whether the patient has normal organ function elsewhere in the body. So usually we would do a heart test, an echocardiogram. This is uh, it's a bit like the ultrasound that women have when they're pregnant to look at the baby, except this is a special sort of ultrasound to look at the heart to check that the heart is normal. And that's because one of the chemotherapy drugs we use for bone tumours can affect the heart in higher doses in particular. So it's important to know that the heart was normal to start with, and plus as treatment goes on, the echocardiogram gets repeated after every few doses of that drug to check that it's not having an adverse effect on the heart. Another of the drugs that we use in osteosarcoma, but not usually in Ewing sarcoma, is a drug called cisplatinum. Cisplatinum can affect the hearing and it can affect the kidneys. And so before we give cisplatinum, we would normally get a baseline hearing test done. That's called an audiogram. And again, we want to check that the hearing's normal to start with, and we want to repeat the audiogram as treatment goes on to check that we're not damaging the hearing. We have to evaluate the kidneys at the start, and we can do that with a basic blood test, measure something called the creatinine level, Or else we may do a more sophisticated test called a radionuclide GFR test. And this is one of these radioactive traces that's injected into the vein and then 
blood samples are taken a couple of hours later and a couple of hours after that. And the only way that that tracer can get out of your body is via the kidneys excreting it into the urine. So the amount that the tracer drops over those few hours tells you how well the kidneys are working. And again, it's to check that the kidneys were normal to start with and it's a way to monitor the kidney function as treatment goes on to check that that cisplatinum drug isn't adversely affecting the kidneys. The next thing to consider as we plan a treatment program with chemotherapy is fertility. Some of the chemotherapy drugs that are used to treat bone tumours can adversely affect the patient's ability to have children later in life. So it may be that we arrange a consultation with the fertility service to see what can be done to preserve fertility. For instance, it may be that male patients can have sperm banking performed. And in female patients, it may be that eggs can be harvested from the ovaries or even just a piece of ovary can be collected and put into the freezer. And so if the chemotherapy does affect the sperm count or the ovarian function, that these might be available to use 10 years later, for instance, when the patient's ready to have children. So we don't do that in all patients. It may be that there's a medical urgency to get started. It may be that the patient isn't in puberty or isn't mature enough to donate ovary or sperm. But if time allows, it's something that we would generally consider and recommend to the family. So now that the diagnosis has been made, the metastatic workup has been performed, we've checked out the heart, we've checked out the hearing and the kidneys in osteosarcoma, we've considered fertility preservation strategies, we're pretty much ready to get on with some form of treatment now. So in the next episode, I'm going to talk about the treatment of Ewing sarcoma, and then there'll be a subsequent one that talks about the treatment of osteogenic sarcoma. I want to deal with those two separately. Anyway, thank you for listening in to this Understanding Childhood Cancer podcast. I'm Dr. Jeff, and I'll catch up with you next time. Bye now.